countdown for blastoff. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Hi, this is Carl Amari, and welcome to episode 38 of Radio Rarities, the weekly podcast series that examines unique episodes from the golden age of radio. My co-host is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. This time we have an audition of a detective series, which is different than most of these types of programs you've heard before. It's Marcus O'Connor, Detective First Class, starring Elliot Lewis, who also wrote the script. It's a series about an ex-GI who wants to become an investigator, a private investigator, but it's not your average hard-boiled show. Right, Lisa. As World War II ended, thousands of soldiers, including those affiliated with Armed Forces Radio, were being disabled discharged from the service to resume civilian life. And Elliot Lewis, who we have heard as T4Y, disclosing his rank of sergeant as host of the Armed Forces Radio Mystery Playhouse series. He had followed both Peter Lorre and Hunter Galloway as the Mystery Playhouse host. Lewis got together with several of his service buddies and created a new radio packaging firm in Hollywood called Command Radio Productions. And their first attempt was Marcus O'Connor, Detective First Class, written by Lewis with him slated to play the lead. This took place during the early months of 1946. And at that time, Lewis had been recently discharged from the Army. Including his three years in the military, he'd been in radio about a decade. However, he did not start out his career to become an actor. This is another interesting story, Carl, of a person who caught the acting bug while in school studying another subject. For Elliot Lewis, who was born in New York City, He was preparing to study law at Los Angeles City College, but was drawn to the theater. And was noticed in a play by actor-writer Tour Boardman, who enticed him into a radio role on station KHJ in Los Angeles. Lewis was a natural on radio and was hooked. He was cast in numerous radio shows, from the Cinnamon Bear to the Jack Benny program. In 1939, he relocated to Chicago and became the host of the dramatic anthology Knickerbocker Playhouse. Upon returning to Hollywood, he rejoined the Benny program and was also heard on Cavalcade of America, Dr. Christian, and prestigious series directed by both Arch Obler and Norman Corwin. Though acquiring a great reputation as an actor in comedies and dramas, he also was proficient at writing. His first script, The Drain, was a thriller performed in 1940 on KMPC's version of The Hermit's Cave. In 1942, he entered military service and during a furlough the following year, he married Kathy Lewis. The joke in Hollywood at the time was that Kathy didn't have to change her maiden name. 
Elliot Lewis always enjoyed being a comic, so following his return to civilian life, he wrote a script for a mystery comedy, and Marcus O'Connor was born. It was a spoof of detective shows, with the title Detective First Class being a takeoff of the Army's rank Private First Class. The audition recording includes commercials for Standard Oil of California. They were interested in sponsoring a new mystery show. A few weeks ago on Radio Rarities, we played another audition for Standard Oil, Let George Do It, starring Bob Bailey. And we'll talk more about that after this Elliot Lewis radio audition. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy the investigation of the man with the bobbing Adam's apple, the audition episode of Marcus O'Connor, Detective First Class, starring Elliot Lewis, as originally recorded in Hollywood, April 23rd, 1946. Radio presents The Investigation for the Man with a Bobbing Adam's Apple, starring Elliot Lewis as Marcus O'Connor, Detective First Class. This is Dresser Dahlstedt who says you'll be thankful for a tankful of Chevron Supreme gasoline in your car. It's the quickest starting, smoothest running, fastest accelerating gasoline on the road today. And there's a reason. Chevron Supreme has the same new blending agents we developed during the war for fighting gasoline. We tailored them to the special needs of auto engines, balanced just the right proportion of quick-starting light fractions with a generous share of heavier power fractions. It's the finest gasoline standard ever put on the highway. You'll say so, too, as soon as you stop at a Chevron gas station, garage, or standard station and say, fill her up with Chevron Supreme. Now, the investigation of the man with a bobbing Adam's apple, featuring Marcus O'Connor, Detective First Class. First, I'd like to tell you about myself. My name is Marcus O'Connor. My father taught Latin at the high school and believed in leprechauns, which sounds funny, I guess, but happens to be the truth. I just got out of the army and I always wanted to be a detective, so I opened an office here in Los Angeles. I rented a desk and a chair from a fellow I knew during basic training, an old friend of mine, and I got a big leather chair for the client to sit in, you know. I also got a water cooler for a small deposit, and that turned out to be quite a good idea, mainly because the first three weeks I was in business, the only person who came into my office, except myself, of course, was the guy who kept bringing another gallon of water. I drank an awful lot of vitamized water in that three weeks, and I also began to get lonesome. I'd been used to living and eating and sleeping with thousands of guys. Now here I was, locked in a little office no bigger than a good-sized valise. I was having my ration of water one afternoon when the door opened, and I'll be a son of a gun, it wasn't the waterman. It was a very short fella. He had a nervous tick, kept winking his eye at me, the left eye. He skated over to the desk, leaned against it, winked at me with the left eye about 20 times, and said, Are you O'Connor? Yes, sir. Can I help you? I got a job for you. Oh, really? Sit down. Uh, would you like a drink of water? No, and I'll stand. Yeah. Oh, all right, then I will, too. <laughs> and uh, what did you say your name was, Mr... Wells. Ray Wells. Uh-huh. Middle initial? No. N-M-I? 
Your age, Mr. Wells? What for? Hmm? Oh, no reason. How much would it cost me for you to find out whether or not I killed a fellow? Whether you what? I've been in L.A. once before. About eight years ago, I got in a little drinking party and a fellow got killed. I was told I'd done it. Uh-huh. And you want me to find out whether you did or not? For how much dough? Well, this is a very unusual case, Mr. Wells. A thousand dollars? Fine, a thousand dollars. Here's the story. Oh, wait a minute. Suppose I find out you did kill this man. Then what? You still get paid. You can turn me in. I'm tired of hiding. Well, that's reasonable. Okay, what happened? I live up north in the valley. Mm -hmm. I've been wanting to come into Los Angeles for a long time. I got the daylight this day. Eight years ago. Do you recall the date? The 5th of February. 5th of February. Go on. I met a fellow on the train. His name was Maxie Turner. Oh, you remember his name. Good. I can't forget his name. It's not so good. Anyway, we had a couple of drinks. When we got to L.A., he took me to a bar near the station, and we had some more drinks. Oh, incidentally, would you like a little something? I'm on the wagon for eight years. Oh, yeah. Well, I see what you mean. We met another guy in this place. It was his first time to L.A., too. We were feeling sad because he was an orphan. Oh, poor fella. This new fella was quite a talker, sort of guy who gives you his card when he meets you. Well, did he give you his card? Yes, I still have it. Oh. His name is, uh, was Roger Dennis. I don't remember much about the night, except it got pretty drunk out, and the place closed at two in the morning like they used to do, and... There was an argument, and the next thing I knew, Turner is shaking me and telling me to run. That Roger Dennis is dead and that I killed him in a fight. Well, then what did you do? Maxie Turner took off right then, and I wandered around a while trying to figure what to do. I finally decided to get home and try to forget the whole thing. And? I went home. Been there ever since. But the more I think about it, the more I'm not so sure I killed Dennis. Well, did you ever hear any more about it? Nothing. We don't get the L.A. papers up there, and I was afraid to ask any questions. Our local newspapers didn't have anything about it. Uh-huh. Well, I'm certainly glad to have your business, Mr. Wells. I came to you because I didn't want to take a chance with the police. Naturally. Uh, where will you be hiding out? I can't hide out. I can't find a room anywhere to hide out in. Oh, yeah, that complicates it. Is there somewhere you could put me up while you're investigating? Well, my room is so small I have to leave my clothes out in the hall. But you could stay here in the office. Mm. Yeah, better than nothing, I suppose. Well, sure, you could sleep on the desk. Or just put the phone on the floor. Now, you make yourself right at home and I'll get started on this. My first case, that was, trying to straighten out an eight-year-old death. I thought for a while maybe the little fellow with the winking eye was kidding me. But I thought I'd better not take any chances. Oh, besides, it shouldn't be too tough. I began to like the idea. I wandered around town thinking the thing out, but I kept getting ahead of myself. I found it was easy to figure out how to spend that thousand dollars and just what the new secretary would look like that I'd hire in my bigger and more thriving offices. But I didn't know what to do first to get the thing solved so I could get the thousand. And then I got a wonderful idea. I'd go up to the newspaper office where Pete Lyons worked. We'd been in Casablanca together. He's an old friend of mine. And I'd look at the newspapers from eight years ago and find out what they had to say about the case of the man with the nervous tick. You see, I even thought of the title and capitals for when I started writing my memoirs. Uh, pardon me. Yes? I'd like to see Pete Lyons. You can even see him from where you're standing. He's over there in the corner. He was a bad boy. Really? That's a joke, son. You're supposed to laugh. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't kill yourself, kid. He's over there. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Hello, hello, Pete. Hmm? Mark. Marcus O'Connor. How are you? Well, I'll be darned. Marcus O'Connor. Glad to see you again, Pete. How are you? Swell. You? Uh, solid. Hey, you got fat, huh? Yeah, that's what happens when you're a civilian. I guess. I look any different? Well, yeah. Well, maybe it's uh, because I never saw you in a chalk stripe before. Yeah. How's it going? Solid. Solid, Marcus. Fine. Hey, I wonder if you could do me a little favor. Old comrade, anything? Well, I've got my own business. I want some information about a fight that a guy got killed in eight years ago. Oh, Running an undertaking parlor, are you? No, I'm a private detective. I'm on a case. Really? <laughs> what do you know? Yeah, I have to find out about this fight on 5 February 1938. Uh, couldn't you find a fresher murder to start out with? Well, I'm, uh, oh, I'm not at liberty to divulge any of this, but it's important. Oh, top drawer, huh? Yeah, you uh, like that? Yeah, well, old comrade, I'll help you, of course. Uh, you want something from the morgue? Well, I'd like to see the newspapers from that date. Oh, very layman's way of putting it. Easy to do a pipe. This away, buddy, buddy. Yeah, well, that's very kind of you, Pete. He waltzed me to a big room with a lot of files. It looked like a good place to keep track of everybody who was ever a T5. He gave me the papers for the date I wanted and also for a few days following it, which turned out to be fine. I started looking. And I got fascinated with the clothes ladies were wearing in 1938. Back in 1938, when they were wearing them, I thought they looked fine. Now they looked old. The automobiles looked different, too, and there were so many of them. I got interested in a column about Shirley Temple celebrating her 11th birthday. I had to quit reading it because I could hear my gray hairs coming in. This got me back to my original reason for looking at the papers. I found a medium-long thing in the early edition of the paper dated 6 February 1938. It said that the body of a man had been found in an alley between some streets I never heard of, and that the police believed the man had met with violence because there was a knife in his back, which seemed to me to be a logical assumption. They had a couple of people under surveillance and expected to make an arrest within 24 years or something. You know how those things go. The paper for the next day said that no arrest had been made as yet, but that they were investigating some mysterious circumstances surrounding the death. And the paper for the third day knocked me for a loop because the police had established identification of the body. They had positively found out that the dead man was Max Turner, the fellow who Ray Wells told me had run away. And the case had seemingly been dropped after that. Anyway, I couldn't find out anything more about it. I hot-footed it back to my office on the J car. I gotta buy an automobile as soon as I have a little extra dough. A Jeep would be nice. My client was sitting behind my desk blinking at me. I suddenly noticed how much he looked like a plate of scrambled eggs. Back so soon? Hey, listen. I found out the dead guy was Max Turner, not Roger Dennis. What? I checked the newspaper. I am I checked some contacts of mine in high places and managed to needle that information out of them. I don't get it. I remember Max Turner telling me to beat it because Roger Dennis was dead. But you said you were tight. Not then I wasn't. Anytime you want to sober me up, just say dead. You're sure now? I'm sure. I'm getting hungry, too. Oh, well, I'll bring you something to eat. I got some things to do first. Ham sandwich on rye bread with mustard and black coffee with sugar would be fine. Sure. Well, we'll have a little supper together. You wait for me. I went downstairs to the payphone and looked up the name of Roger Dennis. I had a hunch. The hunch was that if Max Turner was dead and Roger Dennis was alive, and if Roger Dennis was living in L.A., then he might be listed in the phone book. I opened to Davis, and I worked my index finger down to Dennis Albert, to Dennis Roger. 
And right under that was Dennis Roger L. and under that, Dennis R. Morris Jr. I copied all three R. Dennis's addresses on a page of the phone book and tore it out and started for the first R. Dennis. I didn't have any trouble finding the place. It was a big old apartment house with palm trees in front. I buzzed the buzzer and went in feeling very chipper and smart. I was about to do something very clever. It's a theory of mine that when something happens in threes, it's always the third or the last one that's what you want. It's not really an original theory because it works in every mystery story I ever read. I got to the end of a long, dark hall and brailed the number on the door and pushed the bell. Yes? I'm looking for Mr. Roger Dennis. I'm Roger Dennis. Oh, swell. How do you do? Can I help you? Uh, I'm not selling anything. Can I come in? Uh, yes, yes. Come in. Thank you. Sit down. Thanks. You mind if I smoke? Oh, go right ahead. Thanks. Uh... <laughs> uh, will you have one of mine? Yeah. I must have left them in my other suit. I, uh, I don't know your name. Uh, Marcus O'Connor. Uh, yes, Mr. O'Connor? Well, this is sort of silly because I know you're not the fellow I'm looking for. Well, who are you looking for? Well, I'm a detective, a private investigator. Really? I'm investigating a murder that's eight years old, and there was a man named Roger Dennis mixed up in it, but I found three Roger Dennises in the phone book, and I know you're not the one I want. How do you know? Well, because there are three of them. It's got to be the third one. Always works that way. I see. Yes, of course. Sure. So I won't trouble you anymore. Uh, thanks for the cigarette. <laughs> that's... Quite all right. Sorry I couldn't have helped you more. That's all right. Thanks again. Quite all right. It was a pleasure talking to you. I got a funny feeling for a minute. I thought, what if that was the Roger Dennis I was looking for? Ah, but he'd been such a nice fellow, I knew it couldn't be. I stopped in the hallway for a few minutes and examined a pair of rubbers, but there was no mud on them, so I couldn't deduce where whoever owned them had been before. Then I went out on the street and I looked around and... Want a lift? Pardon? I asked you, did you want a lift? Oh, yeah, swell. Hop in. Oh, thank you. This is very kind of you. <laughs> Funny you didn't even ask me which way I was going. That's right. Oh, this happens to be the right way. I'm psychic. <laughs> it must be. Uh, I get off at this next corner. Really? past my corner. I know. What is this? Just sit quiet and not, nothing will hurt you. We're going on a little trip, you and me. Marcus O'Connor will try to escape his predicament in just a moment. But first... Ever play that word association game where someone mentions a word and you say the first thing that comes to mind... Let's play it now. I'll say oil. Bet most of you immediately thought of slippery. That's right. Oil is supposed to be slippery. But sometimes it can be too slippery. It can slide right off spots it's supposed to protect. That's why we gave RPM compounded motor oil a special non-skid ingredient, a compound that makes it cling to vital wear points in your car. RPM sticks to the hot spots, cuts down wear no matter how hot your car gets. Other compounds in RPM gently remove carbon, prevent corrosion and sludge. Try this all-around car saver. Ask for RPM motor oil at your favorite standard station, Chevron gas station, or garage. You're listening to Radio Rarities. 
We'll return after this short break. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, Sam Spade, Burns and Allen, Have Gun, Will Travel, Gangbusters, and Sherlock Holmes, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Carl Amari and I co Host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Now, back to Radio Rarities. Now, here's Marcus O'Connor. Well, this was a pretty kettle of fish, you know. Just because I decided to be a detective and just because I had to look for Roger Dennis to clear my client Ray Wells of a murder rap, here I was driving around with a fellow I didn't know who wouldn't let me out of the car. But it was a nice car. The driver didn't look as though he was an especially dangerous man. I love to go driving. Then I noticed the disabled duck in his lapel, and I got a thought. Uh, how long have you been out? Three months. Uh-huh. You? Uh, three months. Really? I got out on a third. You're kidding. Really? Oh, I'll be done. That's when I got out. Well, I'll be a son of a gun. Same day, huh? Same day. Well, what do you know? Oh, isn't that the darndest thing? Get out of the army on the same day? Biggest day of my life. Me too. And here we are driving around L.A. together. Hey... Something? I don't like this. I think it's very nice. Can we take the top down? Wait a minute. Oh, all right. You're a nice guy. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed meeting you. Why does Dennis want me to scare you? Well, I don't... Dennis? Wants you to scare me? Yeah, the guy you just visited. Wait a minute. I get it. I just got a job driving for him. He calls me in after you left and tells me to drive you around a while and scare you. How come, huh? Oh, my theory is wrong. What theory? Huh? Oh, that it's always the third... No, never mind. Like I said, why does Dennis want me to scare you? You're a nice guy. You're not the kind of a guy that would bother him. Listen, I'm a detective. A cop? No, no, a private investigator. Didn't you ever want to be a detective? Until the army made me an MP. Oh, yeah, I guess that would spoil it. When I was a kid, I belonged to a club. Oh, I had a badge and everything. The army lost me up. Well, I always wanted to be a detective, too, so I am. Good for you. Thanks. And I have a client. Well, he's mixed up with an old murder charge. He wants me to clear him. And Dennis? Dennis was there when the murder was committed. He did it. He did what? Did the murder. Well, maybe. There's only one catch. We don't know who was murdered. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Well, sure, I'm sure. Let me see. What will I do now? Can I drive you somewhere? Hey, would you? That would be very nice of you. Anywhere you say. I just remembered something. Have you had your dinner yet? No. Good. Stop at a delicatessen on the way and we'll get some ham sandwiches and some coffee. Beer. Or beer. And then you can drive me to my office. He was a very nice fella. We went into a delicatessen. I wouldn't let him pay for the stuff, although he wanted to. I didn't think it was fair. After all, this maybe would cost him his job. Then we moseyed around to my office. 
I hoped Ray Wells was decent, but after all, I had told him to make himself comfortable. Still, I hate men who bring guests home unexpectedly, even if they bring their dinner with them, figuratively speaking, of course. So just to be safe, I knocked on the door. Yeah? And we walked in. Ray had taken his tie off, which made me notice his Adam's apple. Incidentally, that's when I finally decided to call this case the investigation for the man with the bobbing Adam's apple. You all right? Oh, yeah, sure. Sorry to be so late, Ray. You must be starved. I'm pretty hungry. We brought beer, too. No, thank you. I'm on the wagon. Oh, I almost forgot. That's right. Who's he? Hmm? Oh! Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> my mother gave me the devil for forgetting my manners. Uh, Mr. Wells, I'd like you to make the acquaintance of... <laughs> I don't even know your name. I'm sorry. Well, that's all right. It's my fault. No, not at all. Well, I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Wells. I'm Money Bags. Glad to know you, Mr. Bags. Thanks for not laughing. Something funny? Well, usually people laugh when I tell them my name. Of course, my first name isn't really Money. It's Montmorency, which is worse. No, oh, that's a very nice name, Montmorency. You know, I've often thought I'd like to name a kid that. Really? I never liked it. Oh, where'd you get the nickname in the Army? Yeah, I was pay clerk for an MP battalion. Oh, Money, of course. Oh, sit down. Make yourself comfortable. What'd you find out? Uh, well, Money here took me for a little ride. Oh, I can't tell you how sorry I am about that. Hey, you weren't an officer, were you? No, enlisted man. Oh, scared me for a minute. Oh, money, I'm surprised. I knew some very nice officers. I didn't. Go on with your story. Oh, where was I? Well, he's sorry he took you for a ride. Oh, yeah. Well, I went to see this Mr. Roger Dennis. I figured if Maxie Turner was dead, Roger Dennis must be alive. And this Dennis fella had money here take me for a drive. I didn't know why. He said he wanted me to scare hey, him. Hey, you know, you know, it's really too bad we couldn't have had the top down. Hey, some afternoon when you're not busy, why don't we go down to the beach? Oh, swell. I'd love to. Do you play golf? In the 90s. Good. Look, let's have lunch someday and play a little golf. Well, then what happened? Oh, Ray, for goodness sakes, you're not eating. Well, I'm pretty hungry. Well, of course you are. Did you have any lunch? No. Well, you must be starved. Now you eat a little something. Okay. I'll tell you what I think. <clears throat> I think I'll go back to Dennis's apartment. You see, he thinks money here scared me away, so his guard is down, so to speak. Well, look. Why don't I call him on the phone and tell him that I scared you and I'll be home as soon as I get the flat fixed? What flat? A play act that I got a flat. Oh, wonderful idea. You mind if I use your phone? No, please do. Okay. <laughs> oh, sandwich all right, Ray? Oh, fine. Good. Oh, it's busy. Hey, try it right away again and it won't be busy. Okay. That's a theory of mine. <laughs> Modern science. Remember before they had dials on phones? I still haven't got a dial. Oh, really? Shh. It's not busy anymore. Hello? This is Bags. Oh, yes. Well, what happened? I scared him, all right. I scared the living daylights out of him. First, I got him in the car. Hey, hey, you better not overdo it. Oh, just a second, Mr. Dennis. What? I thought maybe you were overdoing it. I'm very good at this. I played the brook in something about a bluebird when I was at school. Oh, well, you know best then. Okay. <clears throat> uh, Mr. Dennis, uh, sorry, I had to talk to the garage man. The garage man? Oh, what happened? Well, I had a couple of flats. It'll take a little while to fix them up. One of them was a blowout. I have to get a new tube. But you, you got rid of that detective. Oh, yeah, scared the daylights out of him. Yes, well, I won't need you anymore tonight. Keep the car with you and be here at 8 tomorrow morning. 8 o'clock, yes, sir. It played very well. What did he say? Well, he believed me, and he told me to keep the car out until 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Wonderful. What are you going to do now? Well, I think I'll go back to Dennis's apartment and look around. Well, what are you going to look for? Evidence. Oh, yeah, sure. 
Oh, I wonder... Hey, hey. Hmm? Why don't you take the car? I don't need it. I think I'll catch a movie. Well, that'd be wonderful. You want to come along, Ray? What's playing? Oh, I don't know. One of those road pictures. I think, uh, hit the road to Utopia. Oh, I'd sure like to see it. I'm finished eating now. Well, why don't you go, Ray? Well, I'm in hiding. Well, that's right. He could wear my top coat and my hat. They're down in the car. Well, swell. Wonderful. And I'll meet you back here at 12 o'clock sharp. Should we synchronize our watches? Oh, I don't think we have to. A few minutes one way or the other won't make any difference. All right. 12 o'clock. We'll be here. Right you are. Good. And at 12 o'clock, I'll produce the murderer. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, because I really didn't know whose murderer I was looking for. Just seemed like a good line. Anyway, I took the kids downstairs and sent them to the movies, and I got in Mr. Dennis's car and drove back to his house. I went the longest way I could find because it was a very nice car, and I enjoyed driving it. I turned the radio on and listened to some music... I smiled at a couple of pretty girls I saw waiting for buses. Two of them smiled back. I sort of idled back to Roger Dennis's house. I parked around the corner because you're supposed to, you know, when visiting a suspect, and I didn't go in the front door either. I walked around to the side of the house, and since he had a first-floor apartment, I was able to look into the window of his living room. I tried to remember whether there was more than one room in the apartment, but I couldn't, so I decided there only could be one room from the way the house was constructed. And if there was only the one room and Roger Dennis wasn't in it, then he wasn't home. And I could go in and search the premises. So I opened the window. And I crawled into the room. The lamp was lit on one of the small tables. I forget what you call them. There's a name for them, like a hassock? No, that's not it. Well, anyway, there was plenty of light. I went over to his desk and I opened it up. And there was a lot of junk there that didn't mean anything. Except that fastened together with a straight pin were a whole series of clippings about the murder on the night of 5 February 1938. I started reading them when... Am I bothering you? What? Oh, hello. Come in. Uh, I was just waiting for Raj. Looking at Raj's clippings? Yeah. I used to be a press agent. I was curious to see what sort of notices he's been getting. Oh, they're pretty good ones, if I remember correctly. Yeah, well, I hadn't had a chance to read them all the way through. May I read over your shoulder? Mm-hmm. Here, sit here. Light's better. Oh, thank you. I will. That's lovely perfume. Thank you. Are you married? No. That's good. Is it? You're very beautiful. Thank you. Are you a friend of Roger's? I'm his niece. My name is Marcus O'Connor. How nice. Would you like to marry me? I've always wanted to get married. I have a theory that the right girl for me will be the one who says yes when I ask you to marry me as soon as I meet her. <laughs> I'm not the right girl, and the answer is no. Oh, that's a shame. But we can be friends. Certainly. That's good. Because you're really very beautiful. Thank you. You're nice. You're very refreshing. Well, my parents insisted on good manners. Well, you have lovely manners. Thank you. Always propose to a girl when you first meet her. It's very flattering. Is it? Definitely. What are you looking for? Well, I'm a deta uh, private investigator... I have a client named Ray Wells who was mixed up in a murder eight years ago. He spent all his time feeling he was guilty. Finally came back to L.A. and, uh, uh, retained me to investigate the case for him. You're investigating now? Oh, yes. You want to know what my uncle has to do with it? Yes, I do. He killed Max Turner. He did? Didn't you know? No, I had no idea. Finish reading the clipping. You'll find that my uncle served six years on a manslaughter charge. What in heaven's name for? Oh, it was in all the papers. He gave himself up to the police and explained the whole thing. How all three of the men had been drunk that night. How a, 
A fight had started, and he'd killed Max Turner in self-defense. And he's already served time for this? Mm. Why didn't he let Ray Wells know? Well, he didn't know his name, and he kept waiting for Mr. Wells to get in touch with him. Oh, poor Ray. Well, why did he try to scare me? Well, he's been trying to forget the whole thing, and he thinks that anyone who knows anything about a case that old is a newspaper man and wants to do a story about how my uncle has gone straight. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. Oh, you know, you frightened him today. He's gone down to my cabin in Laguna to hide out for a few weeks. I, I traded houses with him, see? I'll use his apartment here while he's down there. Mm. <laughs> Certainly makes me feel silly. Well, there's no reason why it should. Mm. You've done an admirable job of detecting. Oh. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Well, i got to go and tell Ray the good news. Oh, I'm very glad to have met you. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. Uh, you say you'll be in town for a couple of weeks? Yes, mm. I'd uh, love to take you to dinner some night. I'd love to go. I'll call you then. Do that. Mm -hmm. Good night. Good night, Martha. Marcus O'Connor has another word or so for you. First... You can help destroy the world disease of famine by careful, prudent use of all foods. A world dedicated to peace cannot be built on a foundation of hungry and starving children. Join your local relief agency now. And here again, Detective First Class O'Connor. That's how I solved my first case. I went back to the office then. I had to drive to San Pedro and back so I wouldn't get there before 12 o'clock. I didn't feel that it was fair to take a thousand bucks from Ray, so we settled for my expenses, which amounted to $13.82, and a check for $250. And Ray invited me to spend the summer on his ranch. Money went down to Laguna with the car, but we get together from time to time. I'm, uh, I'm having dinner with the dish who is the niece of Roger Dennis as soon as this is finished. As a matter of fact, I'm a little late now, and if there's anything I hate, it's a fellow who's late for an appointment with a lady. Let her be late. It's a woman's privilege, you know? And that's it. Oh, I have to run now. I'll see you next week, though. I had a lovely evening. Give my best to the family. Command Radio Productions has just presented the first in a series of crime cases from the files of Marcus O'Connor, Detective First Class. Elliot Lewis has starred as Marcus, and he also wrote the script. The program was directed by James Burton with a musical score composed and conducted by Walter Schumann. Jerry Hausner was Money Bags. Dink Trout was Ray Wells, the man with the bobbing Adam's apple. Dorothy Scott was the girl in the newspaper office. Howard Duff was Pete Lyons, an old friend of Marcus. Ed Max was Roger Dennis. And Kathy Lewis was the beautiful dish Marcus has a date with tonight. This is Dresser Dahlstedt speaking, and I've got to go now, too. See you next week, of course, when Marcus O'Connor will discuss the investigation of the two gunmen who were father and son. Marcus O'Connor, Detective First Class, is a Command Radio production.
Well, Carl, Elliot Lewis certainly enjoyed himself in this frolicking caper. And speaking of capers, Howard Duff was a member of the cast in which all were credited. Of course, Duff would star as the greatest detective of them all, Sam Spade, who would make his radio debut just three months later on July 12, 1946. Another familiar voice in this Marcus O'Connor audition was Dink Trout. He played Waldo on The Life of Riley. And we heard Dorothy Scott and Ed Max, who were in numerous shows from the Cinnamon Bear to Lux Radio Theater. One of the inside jokes in this audition was a conversation between O'Connor and the cab driver. The detective remarks that both he and the driver were discharged from the Army on the same day, which was in fact true for both Elliot and fellow actor Jerry Hausner, who were both discharged on the very same day, February 1st, 1946. Also note, Carl, that as the driver, Hausner states that he has trouble finding a place to rent. This echoed the actual housing shortage at that time experienced by returning GIs. Hausner was on many radio shows, including Meet Me at Parkies and The Adventures of the Saint. And as he would in many of his future productions, Lewis cast his real-life wife, Kathy, to play The Dish in this audition. When Lewis was in charge of a show, the full cast was credited. He had voiced this stern opinion in a 1946 Radio Life interview stating that radio as a medium should always acknowledge its participants, the actors and the actresses, lest they lose them to the theater. Unfortunately, the Marcus O'Connor audition was not picked up by Standard Oil, which opted to bankroll Let George Do It instead. During the next couple of years, this series continued to be promoted by its author, but without success. In 1948, Lewis changed the name to The Misadventures of Marcus O'Connor Detective First Class, but still, there were no buyers. Command Radio Productions recorded auditions of several prospective shows, including Superstition, Expectant Father, and Three for Adventure. The latter program starred Elliot Lewis along with Barton Yarborough and Jack Webb. Our Cracker Jack team here is looking for the script and audio of that one, Carl. Although the O'Connor show and the others you mentioned, Lisa, did not advance to regular series, Lewis's radio production company did have one success, The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. This was one of the best seafaring shows ever heard on radio. It debuted July 3rd, 1947 on the Mutual Network and was broadcast for nearly eight months. The audition starred Howard Duff as Captain Phil Carney, master of the catch Scarlet Queen, with Elliot Lewis as his first mate, Red Gallagher. For the series, though, Lewis took the role of Carney and Ed Max was brought on to play Gallagher. The series chronicled the adventure of the Scarlet Queen crew as they sailed through the Pacific Ocean from San Francisco to the Far East. The structure of the adventures, opening with a quote from the ship's log that introduced a sense of mystery of what is yet to come, and finishing with a final captain's log entry with adventure in between, may have been a forerunner to Star Trek 20 years later. Though Command Radio Productions had many top-notch players, including actors Howard Duff and William Conrad, writers Gil Dowd and Robert Tallman, and music composer-conductor Walter Schumann, the organization was dissolved after just two short years. Many of its members went on to stellar careers in the medium. Elliot Lewis would become producer-director of Broadway Is My Beat and Suspense and create two shows of his own crime classics and on stage. As an actor, he was best known as Frankie Remley, the prankster and left-handed guitar player in Phil's band on the Phil Harris and Alice Faye 
Space Show. Howard Duff became Sam Spade. William Conrad would be cast in numerous programs, including The Whistler, Mr. President, and Escape, before winning the role of Marshal Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke. Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman wrote many Sam Spade scripts and then each did solo work on various shows, including yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Escape, and The Cavalcade of America. And Walter Schumann would become famous for composing the music for Dragnet. Though not a success as a program of its own, Marcus O'Connor, Detective First Class, did showcase an inspiration of Elliot Lewis that may be new to many of his fans. It certainly did, Lisa. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Radio Rarities. Radio Rarities is a Gulfstream Studios copyrighted production produced by yours truly, Carl Amari. My co-host is Lisa Wolf. Mike Estella is our executive producer, and the show is written by Carl Shadow. Next week, we'll present the audition of one of radio's greatest Western series, Fort Laramie, starring John Daner, so don't miss it. Thanks for listening. Time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather, the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.